But this is the last week of our, our Won't You Be My Neighbor series. And, and this, I hope you're enjoying this series. I think this is such an important thing for us. The, the truth is, in this culture, the culture we live in, the church isn't looked at the same way that it was 20, 30 years ago. It, it, the average person, when they think of the church or when they think of Christians, doesn't think as fondly as they did 20 or 30 years ago. In fact, one of my favorite things as a pastor is when I'm talking to somebody, I meet them for the first time, maybe we're hanging out at a common place and, and I'm talking to them and they don't know who I am or what I do. And then that moment when they ask what I do and I tell them I'm a pastor and the look on their face and the way that that changes things. The truth is our, our, our culture doesn't view the, the church and God's work as highly as it once did, but that's why I think this is so important is because we have to be loving neighbors. We have to show the world that, that we're all about love and grace and we're all about what God is doing in this world. We're not judgmental. We're not bad people. You guys are good people. You guys are all right. I like hanging out with you. You're, you're pretty graceful. You, you're pretty forgiving. You're pretty loving. But the problem is if we're not getting out and being neighbors to the people around us, they don't see that. Every church that I've been at, from when I was born until now, I can say there were just wonderful people of God that treated me with love and respect and grace, and that's what our world needs to see. And so that's why neighboring is, is so important, is we've gotta show the love of Christ to the people around us, not just at the store, not just when we're walking out of the church, but when we're at home in our neighborhoods. And, and so real quick, I, just I want to circle back to the first week. Um, we, we had some cards. They were neighborhood cards. And, and I know some of you are here for the first time in this series. Maybe you missed the last two weeks. And, and so I want to make sure that you get the opportunity to do this. The first week we handed out these cards. If you didn't get one of the light blue neighborhood cards, raise your hand. And we got some teens that are going to pass them out. It's not a big deal. But I want you to take this card. Raise your hand. I, some of you are just lying straight up. Come on. We're going to pass those out. And let me tell you what to do with those cards real quick. The, these cards are all about helping you be a better neighbor. So it, you'll see on the card that there's a house in the middle and then there's, there's eight spots around it. And, and so what we want you to do with these cards is we want you to identify the eight closest houses to yours in your neighborhood. I know some of you have different neighborhoods or live out in the country. Identify the eight people that live closest to you. And I want you to put three things on those cards. Number one, I want you to identify the names of your eight closest neighbors. Number two, I want you to identify something that you wouldn't know by just driving by or walking by their house, something more about them that you, you'd have to talk to them to get. And number three, I want you to write something more in depth, something about who they are, their hopes and dreams, something like that to, that you really have to know them for. The point of this is not to shame you if you don't know those things, because I, as I shared the first week, I, I, don't, I don't know all of my neighbor's names. I'm just being honest with you. I definitely don't know the number three level, the deep, in-depth stuff about them. And so the goal of this is that you could take that card home, you could put it on your refrigerator, on your counter, and, and you could start to fill those in over the next few days, weeks, months. You could get to know your neighbors more. And then you'll have the opportunity to build a relationship and love them. 
So take those cards and use them. I hope those of you that have been here and have already had them are using them and are, are starting to fill in some of that information. I'm working on it myself. But I want to take us back to kind of the theme scripture for the series. It's in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28. And I want to look at this again. It says in verse 25, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered that Jesus replied that, and the expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. So, so the expert in the law comes to Jesus, and he wants to know, what do I have to do to be in? What do I have to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to really get it? And, and Jesus turns the question back to him. He says, you're an expert in the law. Tell me what you've read. And, and, and the guy answers correctly. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, absolutely. Do this and you will live. So I think we all know, I, we've, we've preached about this before, we've talked about this before, that, that this whole Christian thing is all about loving God and loving others. I think we all know that, right? Nod your head if you know that. Good. All right, we got some work to do. <laughs> Amen. Either waking you up or teaching again. I don't know what it is. But, um, but, but we've got to love our neighbors. Here's, here's the big question. Why is it so hard for us to love those around us? Why is it so hard for us to be good neighbors. Now, I've thought about this a lot over the last few weeks, and, and, and one of the things that's just absolutely true is that our culture is changing. It used to be that you did know all your neighbors. It used to be that, that you spent time with them, that you were outside more, but our culture has changed a lot. And, and whereas before we used to eat together, we used to hang out together, now we're more busy. We do more things on our own. We, we drive in our garage and close the garage door. I've got neighbors that I've been around for nine years and I hardly know them. I've hardly even talked to them because our culture has changed. But one of the reasons that, and I know this is true because it's true in my life, one of the reasons that we don't love our neighbors more is because we believe it will take away from our lives. It will inconvenience us. It will... You know, loving somebody else means that I've got to take some of my time, some of that time that I like to devote to myself. I've got to take some of my energy, that energy that, that I need to devote to myself. I, I've got to take some of my resources, those resources that I really like to use on myself, and I've got to use them towards others. And, and so I, I think the biggest thing is we think that loving others the way that God calls us to love others is going to cost us life. But I want us to see something huge in the scripture here today. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. That's absolutely the way that you will inherit eternal life. Be a part of the kingdom. And then the last words he says, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. He doesn't say, do this, and you will have eternal life. He says, do this, and you will live. And, and I looked up the, the definition of that word live that he uses there, the, and this is what it says. To live, to breathe, 
to be among the living, not lifeless, not dead. In other words, if you're not doing this, if you're not loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not really experiencing life the way it was meant to be. The second definition, to enjoy real life. The third definition, to have true life and worthy of the name. The fourth one, active, blessed, endless in the kingdom of God. Are you getting the picture? Jesus says, if you love God and you love others, you will actually live. You'll have the life that you were created for. You can spend all your time and your energy and your resources on yourself, and you're missing out. You're missing out on the life that God has for you. But if you will love God with all you have and you will love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to live. When we love God and we love others, we experience life at its best. I want you to do something for me. Think about the greatest times of your life. Do that right now. Think about the greatest times in your life. I want you to share that with the person around you just so I know that you're listening to me. Share the greatest times of your life. Come on, real quick. Not, don't tell a big story. Just share what was the greatest time in your life. Now, I'm, I'm just going to take a guess here. But I'm going to guess that most of the things that you guys are sharing with each other have to do with other people. I'm just going to guess that most of you, the greatest time in your life was not the time that you were living in isolation. Maybe it was taking a break from something. But it wasn't about living in isolation, being by yourself, giving yourself more, focusing on yourself. For most of you, the greatest times in your life revolve around other people. You know why? Because we were created for relationship. We weren't created to be selfish isolated people. We were created to love each other. And so we experience God's best when we love God with everything we have and we love others. <clears throat> this doesn't just apply to life in general. I believe this applies to our neighboring in our neighborhoods. What are the biggest problems in your neighborhood? If you were to list the problems in your neighborhood, I would imagine that the things you would list would be things like this. There's a lack of trust between neighbors. There's a lack of safety. I don't know if I can leave my car unlocked because I don't trust that somebody might not come and break in. I, a lack of trust, a lack of safety, maybe a lack of community. I don't even know the people that live around me. Maybe those are the things you would say are the problems in your neighborhood. Well, here's the thing. All of that changes when we know each other and love each other. If you know your neighbors, there's a level of trust. I told you last week or the week before, my next door neighbor has my garage code. That's really weird. But you know what? There's trust there. I, I, have, I have no issue with that. A lack of safety. We look out for each other. We trust each other. So neighborhoods are safer and, and the community is built. Here's the thing. This, this neighboring movement, this whole th this sermon series comes from a book that I read called The Art of Neighboring. And what happened was there was a group of pastors in Denver, Colorado, and they wanted to know how they could have a positive impact on their community. And so one of their elected officials sat down with them 
And they said, if you want to have a positive impact on your community, you know how you do that? You become better neighbors. Listen to what I just said. An elected official told the church leaders that they need to do a better job loving their neighbors. Does that sound like anything? That's Jesus' command. Love God, love your neighbor. That's how this all started. And through neighboring, through knowing each other, through loving each other, through serving each other, our neighborhoods become better. Our life becomes better. And so, so this isn't just something we do, though. I believe this is something we are called to be. It's something we should be all about. So I want to ask you that question this morning. I want you to be really honest with yourself. You don't have to tell your neighbor this one. What is your life all about? What are you all about? For some of you, that answer may be the Bengals, and I feel really sorry for you. <laughs> for some of you, that may be the cars you drive. For some of you, that may be your job. But, but Jesus says that our life should be all about loving God and loving those around us. So today we're going to look at a story um, in Luke chapter 2. And, and this is a cool story because the story we're going to look at today is about Jesus as a young boy. And, and here's what's cool about it. There's not much in Scripture about Jesus' life from when he's born until when he goes into ministry at what most people believe is around the age of 30. There, in fact, this is the only story that talks about who Jesus is and what Jesus does between those ages of when he's born and being taken up care of by his parents and the start of his ministry when he's 30. And so this this story is important. This is giving us, this, this is the only one in Scripture. This gives us something important about Jesus. So I'm going to read it with you. Luke 2, starting in verse 41, says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for one day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everybody who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I want you to hear this last part. Why were you searching for me, Jesus said. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I want to take this story. This is something that's, that I can relate with very well. I want to take this story and I want you to see what's really happening here. So Jesus' parents have done what they always do. Every year they go uh, to the Passover festival. This is something that if you're, if you're you know, a religious person in that day, you do. You go to the Passover festival. And, and what do we see happen? Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, gets left behind. Let me ask you a question. Let's just have a moment of fun honesty here. How many of you have left your child behind before somewhere? All right, don't shame each other. It's okay. 
All right, now, now, teens, I need you to look right here with me, okay? Teens, look right here. Do not look away. Look right here. This is so important. All right, how many of you have wanted to leave them behind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, we've, we've never left one of our kids, but we did have a... a, 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 a a phase there for a little bit where Jack was getting more confident um, of his own abilities and he started to wander through, the, like after church, people are talking to us, we're trying to get everything together, figure out what we're gonna do for lunch. And there was this like month or two where Jack all of a sudden wasn't scared to leave our presence and so he would just take off. And, and this, you guys have seen, this isn't a small place. And there have been a couple times where Megan and I kind of panicked thinking, We've lost Jack. Where'd he go? We didn't celebrate. We didn't cheer. We said, where's he at? If you've ever been there, then, then you know that that's a horrible feeling. I can't imagine what Jesus' parents must have been feeling when they had traveled for a whole day and couldn't find Jesus. Twelve-year-old Jesus. That, it's, I, I, it's terrible. They had to feel like horrible parents, horrible people. But, but I want you to see that we can't put this all on them. Because, see, in these days, people would travel. In fact, in there it said, amongst his relatives and friends. See, in these days, people would travel in big groups to the, to the Passover festival. They would get a bunch of people and they would go. So it's not like they, they got in their car with four of them and realized that the fifth was gone. That's not how it works. There was a bunch of people, and so they got ready and left. And, and, and they just didn't realize he was gone. We can't put this all on them. In fact, think about this. What did they have to really be worried about? Their son is the Messiah. What's it? Somebody's going to kidnap the Messiah? How's that going to work out? That's not going to work out well. And so this isn't all on them. It's, in fact, it says that Jesus stayed behind. It, it wasn't that they just accidentally left him. It was that he intentionally stayed behind. But, but the crazy thing about the story, the thing that blows my mind, is that they got a day away without noticing that he was gone, which means a day back, two days. And then it says after three days. Now, we don't know if that's two plus three or if it's just three total, but Jesus was away from his parents for three days. Now, I was a pastor's kid for, for most of my life since I was two years old. And my parents... I, I'm not as bad at this as, as they were, but I also live in a different time. My parents were always the last people out of the church. And when I was young, that didn't mean 12, 15. That meant 1, 15. And so service would let out at 12, and I knew that we were in for an hour, an hour and a half of my parents talking and doing other things. So you know what I would do? I would get my best friends. I would go in my dad's office. There was this little rectangular table. We would make a paper football, and we'd start play playing paper football and hanging out. And so I can relate with kind of being left behind or choosing to do something else. I don't think my parents ever left me. They did leave one of us. I don't know if it was Robert or myself or Bethany. One of us did get left once at church. But, but I can relate with this story. This is so real to me. But, but it says that Jesus wasn't playing football, paper football in a back room. Jesus wasn't wandering around lost. You know what Jesus was doing? He was sitting in the temple with the teachers he was amongst the religious elites and he was talking to them and asking and answering questions. 
about God. Jesus stayed on purpose to do something, to learn, to have conversation. And, and so, so we're going to give Jesus' parents a pass, right? Shake your head. Some of you have left kids. It's okay. But the last part is what I really want us to see today. And this is crazy. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And listen to Jesus' words. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Now, in our day, with the level of rebellion and stuff, if you said, our, 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 your father and I have been worried about you, and the son said, well, I was in my father's house. That looks, that's a dig, right? Like, come on. Mary and Joseph knew exactly who Jesus was. They knew that he was the Son of God. They knew that his life was different. And so what we see right here is Jesus says, Hey, what are you worried about? I'm where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to do, honoring my Father in heaven. So Jesus... What we see at the age of 12, this is the only story we have about Jesus in this period in between, but what we see is at the age of 12, and I'm willing to bet even before that, was all about the work that the Father had for him. And guess what? That never changed. When you read through the New Testament, when you read through the stories of Jesus' life and ministry, what do you see happen? There are two things that you see happen. What are they? Number one, Jesus spends time loving his Father, spends time praying, spends time listening, spends time with his Father regularly because he loved the Father with everything he had, and he was about the Father's business. The second thing you'll see over and over again is that Jesus cared, loved, and redeemed the people around him. Two things. He loved the Father, and he loved the people around him. Does that sound familiar? The, the expert of the law says, what do I have to do to have life? And Jesus lets him answer, but the answer is, love the Father, love others. The life and ministry of Jesus is the perfect blueprint of loving God and loving others. He lived it out. What Jesus tells us we have to do to honor God is exactly what Jesus did every day of his life, including when he was 12 years old. And so Jesus called the expert of the law to do that. And I believe Jesus calls us to that today, to love God and to love others, to be all about the work that God has for us. See, I ask you, what are you all about what you need to be all about is the Father's business. What you need to be all about is loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. If you'll do that, you'll live. See, sometimes I think we're really good at focusing on the first half of that, love God with all you have. Yeah, I come to church, I pray, I read the Bible, I do all these things, I'm loving God with everything I have, but, but sometimes we neglect the second half of that, which is to love and serve and redeem others. We are called to love God and to love others. See, following Jesus means that what we're all about is people. We're all about people. 
If the world saw that the church was all about people, we wouldn't have a bad image. We, if, if the church saw that we cared about our neighbor, that we loved, that we served our neighbor, we wouldn't have a bad image. God calls us to love God and to love others. Let me ask you a question again. What, what percentage of your life is about others? And what percentage of your life is about yourself? See, loving others is, is more than just something we do. It's something that we are all called to. I, listen, those words are important. That we are all called to. Being called by God means being called to people. When we talk about our calling, oftentimes we talk about our career or our work. We, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a mechanic. I'm called to be this. And we devote all of ourselves to being the best we can in our calling. But what I'm telling you today is something totally different. Sure, you can be called to a job. But more than anything else, you are called to love God and you are called to people. That's what we're all about. God and people. And so when we come together and worship, we're growing closer to God. But when we go from here, we've got to be all about loving and serving others. You can't be about God without being about people. So we're called to a life of loving and serving. I've just got one more little example here. I know, I think I've already talked about this, but but um, I had an opportunity to, to go to a work and witness conference a few weeks ago. Work and witness is what the Nazarene church does when we go across the world and we serve others and love others. And I went to this conference and I got to see one of my personal heroes. His name is Larry Garman. How many of you have heard Larry Garman speak before? Larry Garman was a missionary to the country of Peru for over 30 years. When he was a, had a young family he moved down into the jungles of Peru and gave his entire life to serve those people. He lived in the jungle. I've been, how many of you have been in the jungles of Peru with Larry Garman? He lived in the jungle and he gave everything for God and for others. And I listened to Larry speak and it, it was the most ridiculous thing because Larry kept saying, you guys are heroes because you went on mission trips. You guys are heroes because you ate the food that they gave you. And the whole time I was thinking, you're a hero. You gave your whole life to serve people that you didn't have to, that you didn't know. You moved to the jungles with, with children and served your whole life because you loved God and you loved others. But here's the coolest part of this story. I guarantee you if Larry Garman was standing here right next to me, he would tell you that he has really lived, that he has experienced a life greater than anything he ever could have had here in the States or on his own, that he has experienced life to the fullest. Because when we love God and when we love others, we really live. So we're called to be good neighbors. We're called to love those around us. I, I just want to end this series by being really practical with you. So you may want to take a piece of paper from the chair in front of you. You may want to get out your phone and open up your notes. I'm just going to give you some really practical ways that you can love your neighbors and be a good neighbor. So, so get ready. Here they are. Number one, you need to be present. 
be present. You know what this means? It means we can't close our, drive in and close our garage doors. We can't stay in our house all the time. We can't ignore the people living all around us. We have to be present. So some practical ways to be present would be hang out in your front yard, sit on your front porch, walk around your neighborhood, and look for opportunities to know and love people. Be present. You cannot love your neighbor if you spend all your time insulated inside your house. Be present. Number two, be intentional. If you're going to walk around the neighborhood, if you're going to go to the store, if you're going to go get your hair cut, make sure that you're intentional about getting to know the people that you're around. One, one of the ideas you can do is if you go to the same store and, and there's the same people there, go to the same line every time so that you really get to know the person that, that's working with you. It, if you're walking around the block and you see someone outside, be intentional to take, remember this, every opportunity to know your neighbor. Start filling in those boxes. Be present. Be intentional. Number three, be generous. And, and this is the hardest one. Be generous and be accepting. See, I, I think the generous thing is not easy, but I think the be accepting thing is much harder. And let me explain what I mean by being accepting. So I've, I told you a couple weeks ago that my next door neighbor uses my lawnmower. He's got my garage code. He comes in, he gets my lawnmower, uses it, and comes back. Well, last week I got home from church, and he's out using his edger, brand new edger. And he says, hey, man, you can borrow my edger. I mean, I'm borrowing your lawnmower. You can borrow my edger. And you know what my first response was? No, that creates more work for me. <laughs> I don't, but, but really, I, I'm just going to be really honest with you. It's really easy for me to give to others. It is really hard for me to accept from others. It's really easy for me to say, you can use my lawnmower, but if my neighbor said, hey, I've got, I've got this piece of equipment that you need, you can use it, I would think, I couldn't borrow from them. Here's the thing. If we're in relationship with each other, we have to be generous, but we have to accept generosity as well. That's how we build relationships. So, so look for opportunities to be generous. And when opportunities present themselves, accept from others. That creates a bond like you can't have any other way. Number four, be a servant. We talked about the 100 yards program, going and raking leaves. One of the examples that I love from my life is, is my father has always been a servant to his neighbors. When, when the snow starts coming, He's going to do his driveway, but you know what he's going to do after that? He's going to do six or seven other driveways because he wants to serve his neighbors. You have opportunities every day to serve your neighbors. Go out of your way. Rake their leaves. Shovel their driveway. Do whatever you can to serve others. I was driving home one day, and I noticed that one of my neighbors by himself was carrying these huge planks of wood. He had a stack maybe this big and this wide of planks of wood and he was carrying them one by one to the backyard. And I had a decision to make. Am I gonna serve my neighbor, who I, I honestly had never met at that point? Or, or am I gonna go and be comfortable? And, and I went and I helped him carry that wood and guess what? Now I know him a little bit better. And now I'm able to serve him a little bit better. Take every opportunity to be a servant for your neighbor. And then the last one is this, and this is a hard one in our culture. Be a host. 
Be a host. See, 20, 30 years ago when I was a pastor's kid, every week we, we were in somebody's house or had someone in our house. Every week. But our culture, like I said, has changed and we don't spend time with each other anymore. We don't have people into our houses that often. One way that you can really love your neighbor and get to know your neighbor better, invite them over. If Same thing goes with generous and accepting. If you're going to invite them over, when they invite you over, take the opportunity. So let me just read through those again. Be present, be intentional, be generous and accepting, be a servant, and be a host. Now the band's going to come up, and the last thing I have for you is this. I really want us to be better neighbors. And so I've got a couple books up here that I've read. There's a lot more than this. But I would challenge some of you, if you want to read a little further, if you want to grow a little further in this, these are two really good books about neighboring. The book on the right is the book I talked about. It's The Art of Neighboring. It came from that, that group in Denver that, that joined together to love their community. The book on the left, I'm going to be honest with you men, it's more for women unless you really like reading about recipes and stuff. But the book on the left is about a movement where a woman decided that she was sick of living in her private backyard and she wanted to know her neighbors, so she put a table in her front yard and she sat there every day and she started to, to get to know her neighbors. And amazing things have happened. So those are two opportunities for you to continue to, to read up. But I just want to say a few things here. God has called you to love God, to love others, but to have life to the fullest. And Jesus showed us the way. If we want to see God move, then we have to give ourselves fully to the work of God moving. I think sometimes we want to see God move, but we want to sit back and watch. If you want to see God move, give yourself to God's movement. If you want to see your neighborhoods, your cities, and even this country change, it doesn't start by yelling at them. It doesn't start by shaking your head. It starts by loving the people around you. The love of Christ, as we love God, flows through us to those around us and can change lives, can change neighborhoods, can change this city and this country. So we're called to be neighbor. I love this last song. It's called, I will, it's called Build My Life. And, and the words of this are, I will build my life upon your love. Just as we sing it together, I'm going to invite you to stand. And as we sing it together, I just want you to make this your prayer today. That you will give everything you have to love God and to love others. Father, we love you. I thank you for these wonderful people. I love getting together with them every week. I love talking about you. I love the opportunity to worship together. But Father, I pray that you would continue to help us to give everything we have to be about you and to serve you and to serve others. Make this our prayer, Lord. Help us to live this out, that, that what we would be all about, that that answer would be, we would be all about you and your work. In Jesus' name.